1924 Paris Olympics from a movie from the 1980s called Chariots of Fire. And Chariots of Fire was an Academy Award-winning movie that chronicled the life and the triumphs of a guy named Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell was a Scotsman, a runner, who was born in China in 1902. He was born in China because his parents were missionaries. They were Christian missionaries in China. So he was born there. His brother was born there. And he lived in Scotland uh, in his primary school days to get an education and because he was so gifted in athletics. Eric Liddell also died in China as a missionary on his own accord uh, later in life when he was 43 years old, or excuse me, when he was 41 years old, in a uh, Japanese internment camp during World War II. Eric Liddell at the 1924 Paris Olympics won a gold medal. And he won a gold medal in the 400-meter dash, setting a world record with a time of 47.6 seconds. What shocked the world that day and what's so remarkable is why, and, and why Eric Liddell is remembered today is not because he won the gold medal in the 400-meter dash. As amazing as that is, and some would consider it the greatest triumph in all of sports, to win a gold medal. What's memorable is that the 400 wasn't even close to Lydell's best race. He was the classic sprinter. As a matter of fact, the critics said, this guy, the, the Americans in the race said, you're not going to have to worry about this guy because not, he doesn't know how to run the 400. He's going to be out of gas. He drew the outside lane there in the final heat, and so they just kind of figured he wasn't much to be reckoned with. His race was the 100-meter dash, and he was lightning fast. And everybody thought that he would break that record that year at the Paris Olympics. His best race was the 100, which he declined to run in Paris that year on principle. And the one reason that he didn't run that race in Paris that year is because he told the Olympic Committee that race is happening on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day. And so Eric Liddell did not run the 100-meter dash on that day. It's crazy to think about. I mean, imagine the glory, the potential. You go in for yourself and for your country and for God to run that race and to be the best you can be and all that stuff, which was the argument of the Olympic Committee. They're going, what are you doing? You're crazy. They're like, we'll set it up. You can run in the afternoon. You can go to church in the morning. You can do the whole thing. And Lydell just simply said, my Sabbath for my family is a whole day. <laughs> and he just didn't run. And it's staggering to me. I just can't believe it. I mean, the, I, I can't believe that he would do that. I, I don't think I would ever be able to do that. But that's why we're still talking about Eric Liddell today is because he did that on principle for the way that he believed uh, the role of the Sabbath played in our lives. So we're going to talk this week and next week. wanted to talk about work. wanted to talk about uh, the intersection of work and faith. Uh, it's Labor Day weekend next weekend. All of us are, are working or we have worked or we're going to school. We have jobs in that respect. We play on athletic teams. We do all the different things that we do. We spend most of our time doing that. So it's natural for us to wonder, what does God think about that stuff? And does the stuff we do on Sunday have any commerce with the stuff we do Monday through Saturday? It's a good question for us to ask. But to understand the six days of the week that we work, we have to begin with the seventh day where we rest. A day that from the beginning of time had a very different purpose, the purpose of rest. So the assumption here is that 
in, in this series of, of talking about rest today, and we're going to talk about work next week. The assumption is that in all of us, we have an innate, inborn desire to please God. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that's printed in your bulletin in the middle section there uh, that just explores this reality that one day you and I will stand before God. And on the day that you and I stand before God, there will be something like a conversation. We don't know what that's going to be like, but that's going to be one of the questions. You know, did I please God in my work, in my thoughts, in what I did? Was I, what was it like for me to participate in God's pleasure in that way? It's a beautiful thing to think about and sometimes a terrifying thing to think about. But that's one of the opportunities available to us as those created in the image of God, created to return to God, right, is our final home. So that's what we're up to uh, while we're here on the earth. And the language of pleasing God and pleasing other people led me to Romans 15. I'd like to read just a couple of verses uh, from Romans 15 as we uh, kind of prepare for this today's sermon and then uh, next week. Romans 15, Paul is wrapping up his 16 chapter letter and admonishing the church. He said, we who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. For each must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up that neighbor. For Jesus died, or excuse me, Jesus did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Paul is encouraging us to um, live a life that is pleasing not just to ourselves but to others, and he's doing that based on the example of Christ. He said Christ lived his whole life in the body to serve others, and therefore it lays out kind of a pathway for us to live. That's the invitation. That idea of pleasing God and putting others first takes us back to something that's sort of familiar to us in our culture, and that is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, which are found in Exodus and again in Deuteronomy. And the text in Deuteronomy that I'm going to read for you today begins in Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, or your son, you or your son, or your daughter, your servant, your, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, any of your livestock, or the sojourner, the alien who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Ten Commandments, the ten words that God spoke directly to his people, saying, as one who is in covenant with me, this is how your life, sh these are a few things that you should keep in mind. And uh, we suspect that there are ten because we have ten fingers and it's easy for us to remember. You know, pretty simple stuff. That's how we can go through them and go, okay, yeah, I can remember that. I can keep up with that. They're basic things that have to do with how we relate to God and how we relate to others. The Ten Commandments are sort of like a Bill of Rights. They're sort of like our Bill of Rights as a, as a United States. However, the primary difference is that the Ten Commandments are not so much concerned with my rights as they are with the rights of the next person. Who is the next person? The next person is, first of all, God. And then after God, the next person is all of us that are in this together. So everyone else who's in covenant with God, 
So I, it's a bill of rights for us and for God. And so that's what directs our life as back in those days as Jewish followers, as Israelites, and it was, it was what guides us as well in our relationship with God as Christians as we relate to other people. It's a fundamental way of being together. So this whole idea of, of loving God, of living a life that looks like love for God and living a life that looks like love for others sounds very familiar to us because we've heard Jesus say that when he summarizes the law and he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's always been, in some sense, about God and neighbor, about lifting our eyes and living on behalf of others. In order to do that, though, we have to begin from this basic place where we were created by God out of pure love, just because God loved us. And at the core of his existence, wants to give us the gift of his presence and the gift of our own enjoyment. And that's what Sabbath is all about. So I want to make a few Sabbath disclaimers before we dive into what in the heck we're talking about in the 21st century when we talk about Sabbath, especially for those of us that did not grow up Jewish and we did not grow up in the ancient Near East. But here we are in West Texas uh, growing up in the culture that we grew up in. And a lot of these concepts just seem kind of foreign. So Sabbath disclaimers, you know, when Jesus is beginning his ministry, he has several um what should we call them, engagements with uh, the religious leaders because they are trying to make the Sabbath way too legalistic. So Jesus comes in, for example, and he heals somebody in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And the, the religious leaders are outraged because they're saying, you're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, no, I'm taking care of people, the lost sheep of Israel on the Sabbath. I'm doing what God does on the Sabbath. Don't worry about it. And at another time when Jesus is feeding his disciples, because they're hungry, because they've been so busy in ministry, and the religious leaders say, you guys shouldn't be collecting grain on the Sabbath, because that's work. And Jesus says, guys, seriously, <laughs> is this really what you're going to try to get me on? But it's, I'm about God's work, so let's not get bent out of shape. Some jobs require different kinds of work, and different kinds of hours, probably now more than ever. I mean, we have computers, technology, airplanes, uh, lights, you know, back in those days, you, you couldn't work all night in your field unless you had a full moon. There were just some things governed by the days and the nights. The things that we need to do to keep people and animals alive, we should by all means do on the Sabbath. It wouldn't be very good justice in God's universe to not feed your livestock on the Sabbath so that you didn't work and then the livestock would die or get sick. That doesn't make sense according to God's nature. So there are some things that we've learned about how to prepare for those things. And of course, you do as much as you can ahead of time. But sometimes they run out of water on the Sabbath or on whatever day you've appointed to take a break. And you just have to alter your plans and take care of stuff. Your kids get sick, all the stuff. You guys know. We all know. So anyways, a lot of disclaimers about the Sabbath. The Sabbath can be found any day of the week at any time of the week because God and people can be found any day of the week at any time of the week. So we hold that as a core part of who we are and relating to God. That being said, let's take a closer look at what is at the heart or the purpose for uh, God's Sabbath. By the way, it's just kind of a funny, another disclaimer, it does seem that every time I go to preach on Sabbath, which is not all that often, there's always something that's like a little test that comes up on the day that I'm supposed to be taking a break. <laughs> there's something to work on. This time, it's an air conditioner. So I had like late night disputes 
with an air conditioning unit going, this is great, Lord. This is great. I'm preaching on Sabbath tomorrow, <laughs> working into the wee hours of the night. But it just, you know, you do what you have to do, right? Take care of your family. So uh, one of those things. The Sabbath is a day for the soul. It's a gift. I will be quoting uh, several times throughout the sermon, and pretty much I probably could have just read you a chapter of this and been done with it, uh, but this is a book called The Sabbath by Abraham Heschel. And Heschel published this book in 1951. It's the best thing that I've ever read on Sabbath. If you'd just like to read more, learn more about kind of the Jewish perspective of Sabbath and how that relates in a modern culture, this is the one. It's not a long book. It's a spectacular read. But so Heschel says that the world has our hands. Right? Our hands belong to the world, but our soul belongs to God. Isn't that great? So the Sabbath is that, re, it's that recalculation, refamiliarization. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day, the Sabbath, we seek to dominate ourself. Ourself. The Sabbath is a gift of freedom in time. All the other six days, we are controlled by the clock. The calendar literally tells us which appointments we have next, what we have to do by which deadline and what time. Sabbath space redeems time. It takes back time from the calendar and the clock and says, hey, there's time to rest. Right? We're not bound primarily by our calendars, by our clocks. Heschel says that with God, time is like eternity in disguise. Right? So we find glimpses of eternity in our working through time, carving out chunks of time for Sabbath. So, okay. A few, got just kind of three general Sabbath points that I want to try to relay just in my understanding of, of some things that help us practice the real good stuff about Sabbath in today's culture. The first one is that, and I learned this from Heschel too years ago, that the goal of Sabbath, excuse me, that the goal of work is Sabbath and not the other way around, which makes the most theologically astute pop culture statement on Sabbath Everybody's working for the weekend. Y'all remember that song? Everybody's working for the weekend. That's what we're doing. All of our work is, tra the trajectory is towards Sabbath. The end is resting in God, not the other way around. So you can read articles about this every day about, you know, whether it's Google or Apple or Microsoft or whoever's fighting with who has the best work environment, who gives the most, you know, paid time off, who gives the most breaks throughout the day. Who has the, base, the best workout environment or the most standing desks or all of those things which increase productivity and increase health? And those are really good things. But that's not Sabbath. Sabbath is not me resting so I can be more productive. <laughs> Sabbath is me resting because that's God's gift to me. Now, it's good to rest so that you can be more productive. I have a friend named Cody Allen who runs a multi-million dollar business in Littlefield, Texas. And... He has transformed their workplace by introducing mandatory exercise to their entire uh, group of machinists. So they work out every day. They get paid to work out, and they've increased their overall health. They've decreased the number of injuries on the job, and they've increased their productivity. So it's win, 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 win all the way around for their business. But that is not Sabbath. That is rest so I can be a better worker. Now, we should have rest so we can be better workers. But again, that's not what God is wanting to give us. 
God is not saying, man, if I could just give old Strebeck a little more time off, he would be productive, and finally I could stand the guy. You know, He's just been so unproductive and so inefficient. If I could give him a break, maybe he'd be better. No, God is saying, I want to give Strebeck rest because he's my son, and he's terrible at resting. That's what Sabbath is all about. All work is directed towards the day of perfect rest. Perfect acceptance, not based on performance, but on being. Heschel says that there is a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. The goal is not to own, but to give. Where the goal is not to control, but to share. The goal is not to subdue, but to be in accord. There has to be some time like that in order for us to be truly human. Second, Sabbath is a gift. It is a pure invitation to receive a gift. It's like Christmas once a week. Again from Heschel. All week we may ponder and worry whether we are rich or poor, whether we have succeeded or failed in our occupations, whether we accomplish or fall short in reaching our goals. But who could feel distressed when gazing at glimpses of eternity, except to feel startled at the vanity of being so distressed? Who could really be distressed with a genuine glimpse of eternity? Right In worship, our, our stress filters out. In Sabbath, in rest, in enjoying God and enjoying others, the stress fades out. Like Work is always going to have stress. Even work that we really love will always have stress because the work is full of dignity and it's important, and we'll talk about that next week. But rest, Sabbath, the stress fades away. The Sabbath, as Jesus pointed out, is a gift for man, not the other way around. The Sabbath is not where we do all these holy things so that we make God happy. But God wants us to be happy, so he gives us the gift of the Sabbath. It's turned around. The Sabbath is about comfort and pleasure. It's not primarily like a super spiritual thing. It's where we enjoy God and we enjoy one another. For some of us, for some of you, if you're young parents, uh, probably a nap is like the best thing about Sabbath, right? I mean, that's what you're gonna, that's how you can enjoy God and enjoy people. It's like, I need to catch up on some sleep. I need to know that it's not all about my strain and toil and that the kids aren't going to have a complete mutiny for the rest of my life. Different stages in life, we need different things. Some of us who are naturally grumpy and like kept to ourselves, like we need to have more parties. You know, the Sabbath, we should have, we should have the best parties, Sabbath parties. We should get or spend time with other people and enjoy other people's company. Some of us will enjoy that more. Some of us need to get away and be by ourselves for a little while, go for a walk, whatever it is. Heschel tells a great story of this prince uh, who, you know, is from this line of royalty, lived his whole life in the castle with the king and all his family, and he was exiled as a young man to another country where they don't speak his language, they don't understand who he is, they don't understand what the big deal is, and he's just stuck there for years and years with no one to understand who he is or where he's come from. One day, the father the king sends a letter to his son and says, Son, I finally made all the political arrangements for you to return home from exile. And the son was so happy, he realized he wanted to celebrate. 
But he was surrounded by people that didn't speak his language, didn't understand his customs, and they didn't understand what a big deal it was for him to return home. What was at stake? So he did the next best thing. He booked the local tavern. He got everybody in town there. And he bought everybody a round of drinks. And then he fed everybody. And everyone was happy. Right? Everyone had a high level of rejoicing. The townspeople, because they got the benefit of the tavern, the, and the prince, because he was anticipating his return home. The mutual joy of experiencing right, laughter and celebration with others, big part of Sabbath, major part of Sabbath. Third and final point here, the Sabbath, to practice it as a Christian, I think, has to be very practical. It has to fit your family. It has to fit your stage of life, or else you'll just get frustrated and not do it. It's kind of like exercising. You know, if you start out and say, I want to get healthy, I think I'll go run 26.2 miles tomorrow. You're probably going to get discouraged, and the next time someone mentions run, you're going to cover your ears and run away. So it's best to start at a modest pace, things that you can handle. And I have learned this mostly from children, mainly my own children and my wife as we've struggled to try to figure out ways to make this happen. One simple thing that I didn't know about Sabbath that really helps me is that it was always from sundown to sundown. So, you know, you're going to try to take a day or half a day on Saturday, Friday night, sundown, you kind of close the book on that day. Whatever emails didn't get returned, whatever stuff didn't get done, adios. I'll pick you back up in 24 hours. And then you just say goodbye to that. You pick it back up the next dinner time. You know, and then you start working again. Again, everyone has to be flexible and find their rhythm. But just that something about that evening to evening thing. It allowed me to be home with my kids for a full evening of non-anxious presence where I could just be there and play games and be silly dad and do whatever I needed to do when the kids were little. The Sabbath I've learned from my kids also is a day of yes. Where we spend all week telling them no, 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 no. If we're good parents, we say no, you can't do that. No, you can't jump off a bridge. No, you can't jump off the trampoline and onto the roof and then back on the trampoline or whatever. You gotta protect yourself. You can't cross the street when there are a bunch of cars. No, 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 no. You can't eat candy every day for, you know, all the stuff. We say no, no, no. The Sabbath is kind of a day of yes. Are oh, you want to do something fun? Sure. That's why we have a fence in the backyard. Can you go out and run around? Yes, absolutely. If you're going to jump off the house and the trampoline, just don't tell us. <laughs> just go do it, right? It's a day of yes. You want to eat some ice cream? Yes. Sure. You want to watch a movie? Yes. And there are other things that come with that as adults. We can talk about another day. But anyways, uh, Sabbath is a day of yes. In order to be a day of yes, it has to first be a day of no. And all of us have to step in and say no to something, right? For some of us, it's email. I was having lunch with a friend this week, and it was like, oh, gosh. You know, heaven's got to be like, just no more email. <laughs> We're tired of email. I'm going off all the time. So saying no to email, maybe saying no to the smartphone, saying no to certain things on, you know, whatever, televisions, just saying no to some things to carve out some space where I can say yes. I want to enjoy the day. I want to enjoy the time, prop up your feet, watch the Cowboys game, whatever it is. To say yes, you got to say no. Make some space. I have a friend who works in agriculture, and he told me the other day, we were talking about this, and he said, you know, I've just kind of figured out I don't like to make trades on Sunday. I just don't like to do to, to make trades. You know, I like to barter with people on Sunday. I don't want to call and just say, if you come, will you come down just a little bit more on that trailer on Sunday? I don't want to sell this on Sunday. I want to do that on Sunday. I just kind of want to keep that. For him, that was just a way that he said no so that he could be available and say yes. 
Again, sometimes in some lines of work, you got to make trades on your day off, but there you are. Sabbath is about creating space. Creating space within ourselves by creating space around us physically that we can rest and enjoy. Children on the Sabbath, or when you give them time off when they're not at school, what do they do? They play. They sing ridiculous songs at the top of their lungs. Whether you're listening or not, they love it. They write stories, unbelievable stories from the time they're little. Or they tell you stories. They make up stories. They play instruments, even things in your house that aren't instruments. They play them like instruments, right? Celebration, fun things that they do. They build things. For some of us, if we're sitting in a more sedentary environment most of the time, getting out and mowing the grass on your day off can be restful, right? But if you mow grass for a living, you probably don't want to mow grass on your day of Sabbath. So it's not about the thing. It's about creating space for genuine rest. For me, I love building stuff on Sabbath time because that's my job is not to build things with my hands. So I love when I have a minute to build things with my hands. It just creates all kinds of room and space for me in my life. The key word for Sabbath is enjoyment. Enjoyment. If you're practicing Sabbath and you're not enjoying time and space and God and family, we're probably missing it somewhere. In conclusion, uh, Sabbath has a cosmic dimension, right? If the stars were made to praise you, so will I. Cosmic dimension. That's why in the Sabbath command, we have to do things with our animals, right? We, our animals get the day off. Our, everybody gets the day off. It's time off, space off, right? God creates in six days, so do we. God rests for a day, so do we. The love of the Sabbath, says Heschel, is the love of man for what he and God get to do together, what they have in common. How often do we think about that? Like, what do I have in common with God? Well, pretty much nothing, except, oh, wait. He said, because I rest, you rest. It's our place of intersection with God, who he is, where he was from the beginning. When I think of the cosmic dimension of uh, Sabbath, I had a funny thought that took me back to when I was a kid, and my granddad was a rancher in Kansas and he had this miserable old gray horse that we called Old Gray. Real creative name. Uh, but it fit gray. And him and my granddad got along really well. He was the only horse that he ever liked. And really the only horse I can remember that I ever hated. So we just had that relationship. But Old Gray got a Sabbath. And I never really put it in that context until I was working on this sermon. But every weekend, granddad would take Old Gray to the house, right, from the pens and everything. And he would just unsaddle him and basically turn him out in the front yard. There was no other houses around. There were no fences or anything. And for that day, old Gray just kind of got to do his thing. No other horses to bother him. He was just out there enjoying grass and time and space. And old Gray got a Sabbath. It was the craziest thing, but it's that cosmic dimension. We begin to shape the world around us when we are shaped by Sabbath. It's a miraculous thing. So the gift of God's presence in Sabbath, the gift of one another in Sabbath, the family meal, the stories, the laughter with friends, reminding us that we are people, we are children, not slaves, 
That's the gospel. That's the good news of Sabbath that we experience today that is available to us. So may you hear God's invitation to rest and enjoy and make space for life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.